We are back with another episode of the After the Timeout podcast. Today's guest is Tom Antos, head boys basketball coach at Wheeling High School. We talked to Coach Antos about holding exit meetings at the end of your season, hiring and maintaining your staff, developing yourself as a young coach, and much more. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Timeout podcast. Let's start with our opening tip. Uh, we want to go first thing, your coaching apparel, uh, bow tie. What's what's the story? Tell us the story about your bow tie. Uh, we, at when I started student teaching, uh, the department chair said you wear a tie every single day. All right, cool. So how do I how do I stand out a little bit? How do I have a little bit of fun? Uh, decided to learn how to tie a bow tie, which is harder than it looks. And it stuck. It was some fun. So uh, when I bounced around from teaching, I student taught at Prosser. Then I then I taught at a couple alternative schools in the city, and then at Wheeling, the bow tie was uh, part of my everyday apparel. And then we translated that to game day. So it's a lot of fun. Okay. So for our listeners, what what was the 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 impetus? Like why you know you're just you're I can just see the moment now. You're holding the bow tie. Like oh, this is what I'm gonna do. What was your what was your thought? I, I just like to have fun. It's it's just a personality thing. Uh, sets you apart a little bit. You you have a little personality on the sideline, a little personality in the classroom. So that that's really it. You're just you you look good. You feel good. You you coach good. We joke around about that. Um, kids, we talk about look good, feel good, play good, right? So all of the above is all good. It's a lot of and fun. Then, and then do you have a favorite one of your bow ties? Uh, I bust out some wooden bow ties. So those are fun. Uh, so mm. they, they're, they're clip-ons, but they're made out of wood. And those are really sharp and wow. really give you a little bit of an edge. Uh, I also uh, busted out a couple feather bow ties. So those are fun too. So you're really just trying to keep people on their toes and, and look good. Yeah, we, we, always we, get the, we always get the spinner one that shoots the water too, right? Like, <laughs> uh, they, had, they had one. The ref, uh, the ref would love that. The ref would love it. No problem. Uh, no problem. Great. And just, just yeah. kind of spin it around, let the, let the water go out and say, I didn't yeah. do nothing. So before we get into it, you know, Todd and I like to let our guests kind of just talk about their their programs. I know you, we did a little bit of an off-air conversation, but, you know, maybe just uh, just – kind of inform our, our listeners just a little bit about wheeling basketball and, and what you guys are about. And, you know, if you want to, you know, highlight anything, uh, you know, just talk a little wheeling basketball. Yeah. Wheeling basketball is um, part of the MSL conference or MSL East. This is my third year as head coach at wheeling high school. It's my sixth year overall. So my first three years, I was the assistant coach under Michael Keefe, who's now at St. Vider. And now it's my third year as head coach. And we're really trying to build the program um, up to be a contender in the MSL. Um, it's something that is um, a passion of mine. We're working every day. Part of our, our culture is, and we talk about this, is stacking days and stacking weeks in order to get to where we want to get to. And that's extremely important. So we have some great buy-in from the kids. We're working hard every single day. And we want to continue to, to build and get better within the, the East, um, within our area, and just continue to grow the program. Awesome. So let's get into a little bit about, you know, you took over in a challenging time. And I know, I know Todd, of all people, can relate to this. Um, you know, you took over during COVID as a head coach. So kind of take our, our listeners through just the challenges maybe you didn't even see coming 
Um, just because uh, we all, the, everybody in this conversation has taken over as a head coach, but there's something you and Todd can relate to that I didn't, which was my first year was not during COVID. So maybe take us through that first year and, and the challenges that COVID brought. I think the uncertainty of it was the, the hardest part. So the first thing I think of is a conversation I had with my assistant principal, Don Raleigh. It was in January of 2021. And I go, listen, Don, what are the chances of us playing a season this year? And he goes, I, I don't think so, man. I think 90% no. All right, well, that stinks. We had our contact days, which were a challenge of themselves. We had 20 contact days in the fall that the IHSA allowed us to have with the kids, temperature checks, playing basketball, trying to make sure everybody's safe, wearing masks. And we were hoping for a season, but it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And he said, no, I don't, I, it, doesn't look, it doesn't look promising. So literally a week later we get the double thumbs up we're ready to go it was a thursday i remember um and at that point it was all craziness my assistant coach and i met with him and said hey what's going on he said monday we're a go and we literally get on the phone with every single person that's interested in playing basketball in our program and basically said, you have three, four days to get your physicals in, get all of the paperwork in, make sure you're ready to go. And that was craziness because then basketball practice starts on Monday and we play our first game on Friday. So I had four days to prep for our first game. And some of these kids haven't played basketball since the last contact day in November, like not running on a treadmill, not in shape, not in basketball ready mode. And so that was extremely challenging. We had four days to prep for Hersey, uh, first away game of the season. And you're trying to throw in offense. You're trying to throw in defense. You're trying to get the kids in shape, but they're also wearing masks. So you're trying to be a little bit between like, all right, I can't push them too hard because they're not going to be ready uh, cardiovascularly. But at the end of the day, they're also playing a full game on Friday. So it can't like nobody's going to uh, baby you on Friday during the game. So that was extremely difficult. That first that first couple of days of getting them ready to go. We had a couple of kids puke in practice and puking is a COVID symptom. So now you're going through a COVID protocol situation. Um, and as a as a guy who's been around basketball my whole life, I'm telling the trainers like, hey, like. They're just out they're of just, shape and they're wearing yeah, a mask. Right, right. They're just not like, in shape. They've eight it's, it's not, it, exactly. It's not COVID related. It's I'm running a full two and a half hour practice and they're not physically ready for this, but they need to be physically ready to play on Friday. So that was, that was a, a crazy, crazy challenge. Uh, for that team in particular, I think it took us two, three weeks to get into basketball mode. And then once we got into those, into that basketball mode, man, we were clicking and we were playing hard. We had six weeks, and I wish we had 16. Like, that team was so much fun. They were competitive. Um, that was probably the hardest part was that, like, quick just prep. Two weeks isn't enough in a regular season, but four days after not doing any sort of preseason for a couple months was incredibly difficult. I, I tell people, like, all the time, like, when we get old and gray and we're at some clinic somewhere, nobody, no, nobody's going to believe it. Nobody's going to believe. No. You'll be like, well, and then, you know, we we're playing, but then you have a kid out for, with COVID. So then now you have to contact trace. I was taking pictures on the bus of where they were mm -hmm. all sitting, we're traveling. It, nobody's going to believe. Nobody's going to believe yep. that story when you go to set. Yep. Had selfies of myself taking pictures of everybody and where they were sitting on the bus. Uh, that yeah. first year, I remember our sophomore group played a team that 
we found out over the weekend had gotten COVID. So that's because of contact tracing. Our sophomores were done for two weeks and then they come back. It happens to be the day of a game. So they have no practice after two weeks and they go right into this game and they are sucking wind. Like it was, it was crazy. All right. So I want to talk about your, your, your time at Luther North with coach Tucker, who's not Schaumburg. Awesome guest. We had him on, but you're, you're at a school and you go 21 to nine and then the, the school closes. Like again, another situation that there's like, you know, we talk about COVID not having a handbook. Well, you don't, you don't have a handbook for that one either, no. right? Like you have all these kids, you have a great season, right? You're making strides and then done. Can you just kind of talk to us about that? Maybe some things you did to try to talk to your kids, you know, ha handle it, have conversations, help them out, whatever it may be. Yeah. First off, huge shout out to coach Tucker and a thank you to him for allowing a, a 22, 23 year old to be his varsity assistant. Uh, he, he was an awesome program at Luther North. We had a great family atmosphere and that particular situation was uh, unprecedented. We were in a regional championship game against Waldorf on a Friday and coach Tucker texts me during the day and goes, Hey, listen, uh, Luther North is going to be closing and they're sending an email to all the parents, all the kids this afternoon. And I go, what time this afternoon? Like, are we talking like 9 p.m. after the game or are we talking like schools ending like 3 30 before the game tips off and he says before the game tips off so it was a highly emotional kind of situation for us so uh i wasn't i wasn't teaching at luther north i was teaching at an alternative school called ombudsman chicago northwest it's about 15 20 minutes away so i drive over after work i get there uh kids are in the gym and they had already heard the news and all the kids are super emotional. Like this is a, a place that you call home for four years. It's a place where um, they've basically lived every single day, like every day at school, every day during the summertime, playing basketball, like on the weekends, like this is, this is home. And the kids are super emotional. And it's a, it's a tough, tough thing to balance where you've got a regional championship game that night against Waldorf. And we're, we're preparing for a walkthrough. And you also have to acknowledge the fact that the kids are emotional about a place that they care about. So we, we talked through it and we said, listen, man, like this is your opportunity to get a regional championship, right? You have this opportunity in front of you and we need to concentrate on that. And the kids did a great job of coming together and fueling those emotions into a huge W for us that night. And to be honest with you, like that regional championship celebration that Friday night was just a little bit extra special being it on the day that the school announced it was closing. Kids were, were excited, kids were emotional, kids were um, feeling every feeling you could imagine. Parents were feeling every feeling you could imagine because it's, it's not something that's easy. And especially for our juniors and underclassmen, like they're thinking about where are they going next year? Like, well, it's not gonna be Coach Tucker and Coach Antos anymore. It's not gonna be Luther North. Like, where am I going? What's happening, right? For the seniors, it was, you're never going to be coming back to Luther North again, right? Like you talk about, like you win a regional championship and your team comes back 10, 20, 30 years later, it's going to be hanging in the rafters. Like that's not there anymore either. So it's really about us, right? Like we're wanna, we want to win this for each other. And that's the culture that Coach Tucker established at Luther North. It was a family atmosphere and the kids came together and it was an unfortunate uh, closing, but it was a unbelievable team unbelievable program and all those kids have a special place in my heart we still see them every once in a while I was actually scouting 
uh, Schaumburg, we played them this year. And a couple of the Lutheran North kids are in the stands. It was great to see those dudes supporting Coach Tucker. And that's the kind of atmosphere that was at that, pro- at that program. I, Todd, I just feel like in the last two topics we've talked about with Coach between COVID and, and coaching at a school and having an announcement it's closing for a regional championship game, I, I don't think there's been too many more unique stories in that way no, from the same not, coach. So. Not, not at all. What I was even going to say, like the anxiety is already high for the kids in a regional final, right? They're nervous. And then all of a sudden, especially for those underclassmen, like you said, like, well, where am I going next year? I don't have a place to, you know, it just raised the level. So maybe some uh, bad timing on the part of the announcement, right? Couldn't have waited till a, till a Monday or something like that. But Yeah, we, we Monday, wish that would have happened. Yeah, for sure. But it is it is what it is. And the kids, yep. all credit to the kids, right? They, they're the ones that have to play, right? I think it's way easier as a coach to compartmentalize, right? Um, especially being a coach that was out of building, right? I'm not there every day for eight hours building relationships with the teachers and the administrators and staff. I'm there to coach basketball with, with my 40, 50 kids that are in the program. Those kids is way tougher to be able to say, all right, cool. Like, I know this is stinky situation, but we need to move on. We need to concentrate about what's in front of us and be where our feet are at and credit to the kids. They did a great job. So we want to get into a little bit, and and I kind of want to tweak this from what I sent, but a little bit about just maybe some lessons learned early on in AAU, but also in high school. You know, we kind of talked about your 22-year-old assistant. You know, maybe what were some of those lessons you learned that first year, that second year, whether it was coaching AAU or, or high school, just as that young coach, what were some of those lessons you learned? Oh, this is a, this is a, a great question because there's just so many different angles to it. Uh, let's talk about it from a, from a high school coaching perspective. So with Coach Tucker, I'm extremely grateful to have worked under him because he allowed me a lot of freedom and he gave me a lot of responsibilities at a young age. Uh, my first year coaching with him, I was a volunteer. So I was student teaching, uh, was a volunteer under him. And I remember we're in our Christmas tournament and he looks at me and he goes, you've got the Brother Rice Scout, Scout tonight. It's like, all right, cool, let's do this thing. And it just like throws me right into it, right? It gives me a lot of responsibility, a lot of trust. Uh, I'm watching the Brother Rice film. I'm preparing the scouting report. I'm preparing the walkthrough. And he really allowed me at a young age to really have a, uh, my thumbprint on the program and, and be involved in the everyday aspects of it, which is awesome. It, ma- it made me learn, made me uh, look at basketball more critically from, from playing to coaching, right? There's two different lenses there. And it, it gave me the opportunity to get right into it. So I'm extremely indebted to him from uh, an everyday practice perspective, right? Coach allowed me to stop practice where I saw it and just point things out. So he gave me the freedom to be involved as much as I wanted to and point things out where I saw them. And that really allowed me to work on communication. I think that's probably as a coach, your number one skill. How do you communicate effectively in the limited time you have? right? It's stop, communicate, get back to it. Or it's pull a kid off to the side, talk to them, right? It's change your approach because the way you're communicating is not working. So how else do you communicate with those kids to make them understand what's happening? And from an AAU perspective, right? So changing the lens, like that's even harder because you're only having two practices a week and then it's game, game, game. So how you're communicating with those kids is extremely important because the efficiency of it is needed. And a high school season, like five days of practice, like I joke with my kids, like you give me a week to prepare for a team, like you guys are going to be prepared because that's five, six days of practice. But if you're an AAU program and you have two practices and you've got games multiple times, like 
how do you communicate with your guys to make adjustments, not only from practice to practice, but from minute to minute. And that communication is super important. Uh, being able to get everybody on the same page quickly um, and highly uh, at a high level is extremely important. And then making adjustments. So that's something that both with Coach Tuck at an early age and in the AAU program, like making adjustments and learning how to make adjustments is so vital in coaching. I remember Coach Tucker being the first one to really say, listen, like throwing a junk defense in every once in a while changes the game. Like boxing one, triangle and two. Like sometimes that just for five possessions might just change the outcome, right? Switching defenses, going from a full court pressure in a zone to full court pressure in a man, right? Switching from full court pressure to half court pressure, showing a zone defense for, for a quick minute, right? How are we switching on our ball screen coverages? How are we switching on our off screen coverages? Like, are we going to switch everything? Are we chasing? How are we going to face guard somebody, right? Those little adjustments, a lot of times are the difference between winning and losing a basketball game. And learning that at a young age is, is really important. And then lastly, I think both in high school and AAU, prioritizing what you need to do in practice, right? If you've got two hours, what are you trying to do in those two hours? What is the most important thing? What is the second most important thing? How are you going to communicate that with the kids? How are you going to execute it? And then being able to, to make a comprehensive plan where you're getting everything you need to do. I think that was a little bit more, more long-winded than you wanted, but... No, that, that was that was perfect. So I want to I want to follow up and we can get a little basketball-y on, on one of your things. So you you're, you're talking to the right people when you're talking about junk defenses and zones and changing defenses and doing different stuff. Right. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about all kinds of borderline crazy stuff all the time when we have conversations. Can we do this? Can we do that? But how how do you make sure when you're doing that, you, you know, it's not something you're just doing to do and it's in its quality right you talked about budgeting that practice time too yeah. right working on it and you know it's probably if you use it don't use it frequently it's not going to be great right but mm -hmm. making it good to above average to where it's it's effective and not just something you throw out there and it doesn't doesn't really work how do you go about incorporating that along with your main stuff that you do every day i think it's about how you communicate it to your players i as a, as a coach, right, you'll, you'll scout teams and you'll say, hey, like this coach will throw a two, three zone in for two or three possessions just as a change of pace, but it's not very good, right? And I never want to be that guy. For us, we communicate with our kids, like when we're changing defenses and we're putting something in, we're doing it because we want to get an advantage for our basketball team, right? So that buy-in is super important. So whether we're going box in one or triangle in two, it's not because I don't think you guys can guard. It's because we think this is the best strategy for us to win, right? And there's a difference in the approach you give the kids there, right? It's not because this is our only option. It's because we think that based on our personnel and based on how we can guard them and based on what they do, this is the best option for us to win. And when the kids understand that, I think that's great, right? That's something that over the course of our three years, my three years as head coach at Wheeling, the kids have really enjoyed every year and their feedback to us is we love the switching defenses. We love that one game we're going to box and one a kid. We love that another game, like we'll throw out a 2-2-1 a full court press and we won't trap and we're just trying to get it out of the point guard's hands. And we'll talk about how we'll switch, switch how we're covering uh, off ball screens based on, on personnel. 
like all of that is just for the sole purpose of winning, right? And if the kids buy into the fact that we're not doing this because coach doesn't believe in us, no, coach is doing this because this is how he thinks we can win and this is what we're going to do, that's huge, right? And then when it works, it's just that much better. So I know, for, for example, I, like the first one that comes to my mind is when I was an AAU coach, we were playing a team called the Indiana Dogs at Lake Zurich High School in their field house court one. They had two guys who could really go. And we went triangle and two just on the fly, and it changed the outcome of the game, right? Those two guys were scoring 90% of their points. We went triangle and two. We made some other guys have to shoot, and the kids were like, this was great. And when the kids get that buy-in from what you're doing, that's when it separates it from being a junk defense to being an effective defense that's trying to win games. Well, and, you know, I, I've always looked at it, too, is like, you know, okay, you're showing, especially at the high school level, right? You're showing you're going to do those things, right? Well, now the other team also has to prepare for it, right? They have to take time oh, away God. from take time away from something else that might be important that day to say, you know, because, you know, we all know how coaches are. You see something you're like, oh, well, they might do this. So how are we going to get ready for it? You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, I did we did that when I was at Benedictine. She was like a little one, three, one look. Right. Not a lot of teams have many sets for one, three, one. Right. So one, three, one into a two, three. And it costs teams problems because there's only so much more more they can do. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you with you on that. Wanted to move on. Also, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was also going to say in your back pocket as a head coach. It's also multiple things that you can figure out what works, right? If you only have a man defense in and you're getting killed in man, well, if you don't have anything to switch to, then you don't have an, you don't have a plan B. Um, for me, a lot of times, like we'll, I'll, we'll talk, like my Lake Zurich game is where we played Lake Zurich this year at Lake Zurich. And early in the game, we switched to a 2-3 and we realized this was our best defense and we went with it. Like it was just wasn't my intention going into the game playing two, three, we had prepared to play man. We had prepared to go two, two, one full court into man and two, three ended up being our best defense. And it was a great game. We lost by a couple of points, but that defense was our best defense on that particular night. And it works out that way sometimes. No doubt. All right. So your, your, your time in, in CPS, you talked about it a little bit. Um, and I actually have a little bit of experience way back in the day. I was at Senate at achievement Academy when they still had achievement academies. So, um, you know similar similar type of situation but you know de definitely different environment different culture a lot of different factors so uh, again going back to some things you learn maybe teaching wise right especially that you took into into your coaching no matter what type of kid or what type of environment or place you're working at yeah i have an interesting background i, I student taught at prosser career academy then i was at two alternative schools. So one on the west side, Ombudsman Chicago West, and then one on the northwest side, Ombudsman Chicago Northwest before getting to Wheeling. So I was in inner city and now I'm in the northwest suburbs. And I think the biggest thing you take away from, from teaching is the perspective, right? Especially an alternative school. Those kids at that alternative school are there for a variety of reasons. Some kids need a smaller individualized learning environment and couldn't be at a 3,000 person high school. Like that just was anxiety for them, right? They needed a small alternative school to function. You also had kids who were gang affiliated and got kicked out of their high school, right? And are at an alternative school because they're no longer allowed to be there. You have kids who are social economically not in a great position, right? 
And you learn about that, those kids in, the, in that alternative school, right? So in the alternative school, you have all of these different kids with different stories about why they're there. And it's important to understand that perspective is everything, right? We have, as basketball coaches, we have three hours maybe a day with these kids, right? Uh, two, two and a half hours for, for practice, half hour for film, like that, there's your three, right? What are these kids doing the other 21 hours of the day? That perspective is huge in my opinion, because you can only control what's happening when you have them on the basketball court. But what are they going home to, right? What's their day-to-day life looking like? What are their responsibilities, right? Are, are kids leaving your practice and going straight home to babysit um, their sister or brother or, or maybe a, a niece or nephew, right? Uh, what are they eating on an everyday basis, right? Do they have enough food to eat at home, right? What's, uh, what's their sleeping schedule like? How many people are living there, right? So perspective is everything. So when a kid comes in tired or when a kid comes in late or when something's going on at home, right? Or maybe they're just having a bad day at practice. It might not be anything to do with what's going on with basketball. It might be everything that's going on the other 21 hours of the day that you might not know about. And I think having that perspective is really important. And being able to see both the city lens and the suburban lens, I think has helped me really understand a lot of where these kids are coming from. Well, you just made Todd and I very happy because it's some of the same work we do every day. So thank you for saying that, that piece of it, coach. Um, We wanted to get into a little bit about, you know, it's end of the season. So, you know, we kind of wanted to talk to you about kind of end of the season procedures and exit meetings and and those kind of things, and maybe your goals and those kind of things and what you're looking to learn and what you're looking to get out of it. So um, maybe if you just want to give our listeners a rundown of how you kind of handle end of the season. So, you know, your, your last game ends, as, as I said to my kids the other day, there's really only one team at the end that gets to end with that mm-hmm. ever elusive victory. So, you know, you, you, your season kind of ends in a loss. And then where do you kind of go from there over the next two weeks? Yeah. So for us, we go right into our team meeting the next day. So we just lost this past week on Wednesday to Frampton. And Thursday, we had our end of year team meeting. I want to do it right away because I want their ideas fresh in their heads. I also have a lot of multi-sport athletes who are going to be starting spring sports here coming up. Most of my starting five actually plays baseball and they're starting Monday. So I want to make sure I'm getting the meeting in before their spring season. Uh, At our meeting on Thursday, whole team's there and I want feedback from what they're seeing. So I talk to them talk to our kids all the time about how this is a player's program. And at the end of the day, I'll control my 5%. I'm going to practice plan. I'm going to scout. I'm going to make sure that we're putting you guys in positions to succeed. But at the end of the day, players play, players shoot, players rebound, players defend. So what are you guys seeing out there? And what are you guys uh, thinking about our program? So I'm asking everything from practice habits, best things in practice, worst things in practice. Uh, offense, what's good offensively that we're doing? What's bad offensively? What's something that we need to work on? Defense, what did you guys enjoy? What did, what did we need to change? How do we improve? Coaching staff, what is great about our coaching staff? What needs to, to change? Me, what's, what am I doing well? What do I need to improve on? And then final thoughts. And every year I learn a little bit, little bit from our guys. Some of them are stock answers. Some of them are answers that you know, have been drilled into them from being coached. And some of it is, is really thoughtful and, and great feedback. And I want that feedback right away. I want those guys to feel like, like I have their ear and that this is their program, not just my program. 
And so then we talk about uh, the end of season procedures and we, we, we say goodbye to the seniors. And then I keep the underclassmen around for a little bit extra in that meeting. And we talk about next steps. We talk about our weight room program. We talk about off season open gyms. We talk about AAU opportunities. We talk about summer and we talk about what the next steps are moving forward for our program. We, as a program at Wheeling High School, we talk about stacking days and stacking weeks. So it's not being done with basketball. It's how do we prep now for the next season? So we do that end of season meeting. We have that Google form. We talk to the, to the juniors and the sophomores. And we had a freshman up this year on varsity as well uh, about what next steps are. And we, we move on. So I want to dive in that a little bit. You talked about, you know, you get some stock answers and you also get some thoughtful answers, um, I think, which kind of happens everywhere. But how do you, within the season, also building up to that point, right, you know, work with your kids about, about you know, because this is a kind of a life skill too. John and I talk about this all the time, right? The conversations you have and, and, and you know, that's a little bit different these days with social media and things like that. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's changed. How do you help your kids prepare to kind of speak their thoughts and put it in a, I guess, a positive, positive way that's, that's productive for that meeting that can help you improve your team, improve your coaching staff, improve, you know, how do you work on that throughout the season? What, what kind of things are you doing during? So throughout the year, there's general check marks that we have meetings where we talk about what's going well, what's not. And I'll actually even print out our huddle stats and say, here's the reality of what's going on on the floor as well. So the first time that we do that is after Thanksgiving. So that's about a month into the season. We'll have a team meeting and we'll say, all right, what's going well? How are practices going? Did Thanksgiving go the way we wanted Thanksgiving to go? Here's our statistics at Thanksgiving. Like what adjustments do we need to make? And we open the floor up for what the kids are seeing and what they're talking about. And the, the, the fact that I give them statistics and we talk about the statistics, I feel is, it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very transparent, right? There's no hiding the statistics. Like if we're playing well offensively and the statistics back it up, great. If we're winning games, but we're not playing well offensively, all right, so that's great, right? How do we change that? And those are conversations we have with the kids. We'll do it again after winter break. So after our holiday tournament, we, we host the Wheeling Hardwood Classic. So after the Wheeling Hardwood Classic, we'll sit down again and we'll say, all right, here's where we're at. Here's where we were at Thanksgiving. Here's where we are after the Wheeling Hardwood Classic. What are we getting better at? What do we need to tweak? What are you guys seeing? How do we need to do things? And we'll do it again uh, after right about the end of January. We'll, we'll talk with them again and say, all right, so this is going to be our final push now, right? Playoffs are around the corner, end of the season. We need to be playing our best basketball. What are you guys seeing? So having those continual conversations as a group. And then I try to have individual conversations with our kids and specifically our captains almost every day about how things are going. Captains, I give a little bit more, um, what's the right way to phrase this? I give them a little bit more stock in what they're seeing, right? I want them to have my ear. I want them to, to say what they, what they see and let me know what we should be changing because really at the end of the day, it's a player's program and they have the heartbeat of the team. They should know what's best for our program and they do a great job of communicating. So understanding that I continually try to communicate with them and try to continually get feedback from them, I think is helpful where it leads up to them knowing that I'm listening and we're going to make changes based on what the kids see. 
So let's then take it to the next step. You have your, your meeting, kids go to their race, spring sports. Now, you know, you're, you take your couple, couple days, weeks, whatever, whatever, everybody's different, you know, um, and now you're preparing for your off season goals, right? Cause mm -hmm. as much as your season is done as a high school coach, you realize, Oh, this now the summer season's coming quickly. And then, you know, next steps are coming quickly. So how do you and your coaching staff uh, go about the process of, you know, kind of analyzing the past season and then preparing your off-season goals to get ready for the summer and, and think about what the next fall and winter is going to look like. Yeah, and I think that's the most important thing, right, is being able to attack that early and have a, a goal, have a vision in mind about what your next eight months are going to be prior to the season starting again. What we're doing currently is I have asked all of my assistant coaches to give me feedback as well about our program. So I'm not only getting feedback from the players, but I'm getting feedback from my assistants. So I asked them to do a Google form as well with similar questions based on what we're doing as a program, what do we need to improve on and getting that feedback right away. From there, this upcoming week, I'll end up calling each of those assistants and having a brief conversation with them about what they said, right? What's going well with our program? What do we need to improve? And then once I get all of that information, I'll probably sit down with my varsity assistant, Brett Gherkin, and we'll talk about our plan of action, right? One of the things that we're continually doing is our kids are in uh, zero hour PE every day. So before school, they're in lifting. So our whole varsity program, most of our sophomore program is in that zero hour PE. So they're going to continue to do that, right? So what goals, what benchmarks do those kids need in those classes to show growth and improvement? From there, when do we want to start setting up open gyms in the spring so that kids have an opportunity to continue to play? What does it look like in the summertime, right? We're going to have three, four weeks in the summer. What does that look like? What do we want to work on? What specifically are we changing? Because we've got new personnel now. We, this particular year, I started four seniors and my sixth man was a senior. So we're graduating a lot. So can we do the same things we did with that group from last year? Or do we need to change the X's and O's? Do we need to change our offense, our defense, how we go about things, because next year we're going to be much younger. All of those things are conversations that are had. And I think once you figure out what the priority is, then you figure out what those next steps are. But having those conversations, I think, are vital. I want every single person in our program to feel like they're a part of it because they are. Every single person matters. Every single person has a voice. Every single person has an opinion. And we're going to figure out what's best for our program moving forward. So let's kind of get into that a little bit deeper. You know, you kind of touched on the schedule. So let's talk about making the schedule. And again, I don't know if we've talked to too many coaches about this. This might be a good spring topic for us to hit with a few coaches. But, you know, let's talk about making that schedule because it's not as easy and as simple as other people may think it is. Some, it, that takes mm -hmm. months sometimes and, and it's done well in advance. So what are some things you look for when you're making your schedule? You kind of said, you know, do you base it off your talent level? Do you base it off your experience? Do you base it off of, for some people like yourself, you said you play in the mid suburban league. I don't know how much more, uh, how many more tough games necessarily you need to add to your schedule for strength to schedule. So how do you kind of make your schedule to find that balance? So I think every year that's, that's tough because you want to find games that are going to be competitive for the group that you have. And that also prepares you for the ultimate goal of 
winning a MSL East championship, winning a regional championship, right? Being successful. So what, what I'm going to end up doing is talking with my uh, assistant athletic director about what openings we have next year for our varsity schedule. And then who do we want to want to uh, put in those openings, right? I think there's two-year contracts for almost everybody. This was uh, weird last three years. I, I think the first COVID year, we didn't play anybody outside of our conference. So this will be the first time for me where those two-year contracts are up. So are we scheduling the same opponents? Are we not scheduling the same opponents? And going forward with, I have a young group. And what does that group need to be successful in regards to development and in regards to making sure they're continually getting better? Um, and I think that's the that's the goal, finding that perfect balance. And that's something that we're going to continue talking about as a staff and then working with my assistant athletic director as well. So now let's go to and, you know, hopefully if you're lucky as a coach, you don't have to hire any new staff. But um, this is the this is the time of the year. I know John and I talked last year to a bunch of coaches. There was I mean, there was job postings everywhere for a number of reasons, right? It was kind of uh, interesting to see people were making changes in their 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 family, things like that. So, you know, every, every year is different. When you talk about and think about, you know, if you need to hire staff, I guess, you know, you talked about your checklist for the offseason. What are the checklists you need to go through for hiring your staff and, and things you're looking for? one to to help you as a head coach but also help your program and be the right fit for what you guys are doing yeah it's a it's a difficult question because you want to find great basketball minds who are great ambassadors who are great role models and ideally they're also working in your building but that's not always the case right so you're trying to find that balance you're trying to find number one you're trying to find great people right because if you don't find great people right? It doesn't work because relationships are everything in coaching, right? You want to make sure that you can find somebody who's going to have a great relationship with your staff and a great relationship with kids, right? Because number one, if you don't have that relationship, you can be the greatest X and O mind in the history of basketball. But if you can't relay that to your kids in a way that they're going to understand and trust you and, and build that relationship off of you, it doesn't matter. So it's finding people that are going to be great people, number one. Second is people that are going to be role models for our kids right? Kids that people that you can look up to and say, man, coach is great. Like I can talk to him, not just about basketball, but I can talk to him about what's going on in my math class, uh, what's going on um, with my family life, right? Things that are going to be important because if that relationship isn't there, then like, like I said, the X's and O's don't matter if there's no relationship. And then having that X's and O's background is essential as well, right? Being able to find somebody that I trust to, to be able to bounce ideas off of, be able to say, hey, this isn't working. What do you think? What do you, what do you like about this offense? Um, for me in particular, I use all of my assistants in regards to scouting. So we'll, we'll do weeks in advance. I'll say, hey, uh, Jason, you've got the Hersey Scout. Uh, Brett, you've got the Rolling Meadows Scout. Uh, Virgil, you've got the Elk Grove Scout. Right? And they'll look at film for me in advance so people I can trust with the X's and O's part of it so that I can see what they're writing down and look at it as well and make a great scouting report. All of those things are really, really important. And it's hard to find people who fit all that. And when you do, it's extremely important to get those people to in your program. Lastly, for me, I think it's about the trust aspect of it, right? So a lot of times, uh, 
you need to find the opportunity. You have to find the reference to say, hey, this is a great person. Because sometimes you meet people for the first time and you don't know. So you need to figure out, are they a trustworthy individual? Can you talk to people who vouch for them and make sure that they're the right fit for the program? So hopefully you don't have to do too much hiring year to year because it's difficult uh, to find those kinds of people. But when you do, I think it's extremely important. And I've been lucky to have uh, a great staff over the last three years and a lot of volunteers. I know a lot of coaches will joke with me that I have too many people on my coaching staff, but I'm, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for, for all the guys that are on my staff and the volunteers that come in to help us out as well. So I want to follow up a little bit about that. How, how do we go about, I guess, cultivating and, and, and promoting to, to find some of these coaches? Like, like you said, you were 22, right? Um, you know, when you got your first shot. So some of these, um, you know, younger coaches and, and coaches who may be kind of on that fringe of thinking about it to give them an opportunity to, to, you know, experience that and, and you know, they're really good coaches, but have that chance to, to find a program for them. How, how do we go about, you know, promoting that more, um, finding them, you know, encouraging them to, to, to look for these positions? Yeah, I mean, it's about finding the right fit, finding the culture where it allows you to have a voice. Because I know there's a lot of people who want to control every aspect of the program and don't give their assistance as much say and you need to find especially as a young coach who's interested you need to find somebody who loves hoops who's going to mentor you and who's going to be able to give you opportunities to coach on the floor do the film work do the skill work in the offseason and talk during the offseason as well about the x's and o's and about the program it's about being transparent and all those different things and giving you the the full opportunity to experience the whole thing which is extremely important you need like and I'll say this, overall, all of that, right, you need to find somebody who loves hoops. Because if you don't love hoops, like, it's hard to do this year-round if you don't love what you're doing. So finding somebody who's extremely passionate about a game of basketball, loves it, um, goes out and plays or played or, or loves watching and just wants to be ingrained in it and learn, and then you give them opportunities, right? That's huge, learning and, and giving opportunities. So just to get in before we head to our last two segments, just this is a very Todd type topic, but Todd will ask our guests all the time. There is so much X's and O's stuff out there. I mean, Twitter is a, is a great tool, but it's also sometimes maybe a little bit of a detriment to coaches because there are hundreds of thousands of sets and blobs and slobs and all these different things out there. So for you personally, when you go through stuff in the off season and you think about, you know, my personnel may change from this to this, how do you kind of decide that balance of this is what we are. This is what we do versus this is my personnel. This is how I want to tweak it while saying I'm going to keep this, but add this, et cetera. How do you go through that X's and O's kind of deluge of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think first and foremost, it's about putting your players in a position to succeed. So like you said, there's a million X's and O's out there. So what are you doing to put your position players in a position to be successful based on their strengths and weaknesses right now? So for example, three years ago, when I got the head coaching gig, one of my starting five was a kid named Ima Igihan who played harder than almost anybody I've had the opportunity to coach. Ima as a junior, 
was limited to being around the hoop. So the offense we drew up for Ima included him being four out one in dribble drive. And it wasn't throw Ima the ball on the block. It was put him in the dunker spot opposite the ball handling driving so that he gets dumps and finishes. We did a great job with that. And Ima shot 64% was a school record for us um, as a junior. Like that's being effective. Now the following year, a year later, Ima put in a ton of work in the offseason. And now he's got an in-out cross move and he's really athletic. So I'm not going to limit him to put him in the, on the block. He's gotten much better over the course of the last eight months. He's going to be a mismatch on the perimeter. So what we did with him now, he was our inbounder. So he'd be trailing the play. We'd reverse it to him. We'd make a cut. We'd open up a double gap. And we let him attack the opposing team's center when he's a best athlete on the floor. So year to year, you have to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are of your players and tweak appropriately. Like it's not a one size fits all approach. And that's got to be an important thing, especially for me as a coach to, to do year to year, right? My first year um, at Wheeling, we were super long and athletic. I uh, was six, seven wing, Jaden Terrell, six, three center, uh, Joe Jordan. Ima was a six, three uh, junior forward. Uh, we had another uh, six foot guard who's a freak athlete who's running track and field at Illinois State, Solomon Hudson. And we had another guard, Elijah Hutchinson, 6'2", just super athletic guard. And we went 1-3-1 with that lineup. We were long and athletic. The following year, not as long and athletic, but all the three, four of those guys graduated. So we can't run that 1-3-1 again or not as efficiently, right? So what are we doing year to year to maximize our strengths, maximize what we're doing to win basketball games? And I think that's going to be an important part. So for me this year, it's understanding where my points are coming from. So I've got a couple of six, two, six, three wings right now who are young. How do I get them the ball in positions to succeed? Right. And that's going to be the key for me moving forward with the personnel I have. What are we going to be running on defense? Right. What's going to maximize the skill sets that they have so that we can be successful and making those changes year to year, I think is extremely important because if you're not maximizing what you have, you're, you're not, you're not doing, you're not fulfilling your potential. So as we move into our uh, last two segments here, first one's 30-second timeout. Your chance to talk about anything you want to talk about. Could be your program, um, something that's important to you, something you want our listeners to know more about. Basically, any topic you want. Um, we're not throwing up the timer. You, don't, you, can take a, you can take a minute. You can take two minutes as long as, as, long as you want to talk about something that's important to you or, or something that's on your mind. The, the new trend also seems to be people asking us questions, which sometimes throws Todd and I off, which is also hilarious. When, when you guys sent this to me as the, as the topics, I think the first thing I thought about is our program culture. So uh, on social media, you'll see us and a lot of our social media posts with hashtag Ubuntu. Uh, we also break down every huddle with Ubuntu. Uh, and it's a, a program culture thing where it's an African proverb that means I am because we are. So it's this idea that you as a person are not you as a person are influenced by everybody else in your life. So whether that's a coach player relationship, right? Like hopefully as a coach, I have a relationship with you where we can build upon your skills and, and, and get you to move forward as a basketball player. As a team, we talk about how as a group, 
you are only as good as the other guys on the team, right? So that might mean if our best shooter needs to get open, you need to set a great screen, right? If you don't set a great screen, he can't get open to get, get that shot. We talk about how if you're not engaged on the bench, right, you're not bringing that energy, right? You're actually letting our team down because energy is a huge part of the game. As a staff, we talk about how we're going to continue to work with one another to make sure that we're the best prepared team on the, on the floor every night, right? We work, we work hard to make sure our scouting reports are ready, our practice plans are great, and our kids are in the best position to succeed. Everybody works together to ultimately have this team atmosphere, this program of Ubuntu. And it's something that we, we talk about a lot, and it's something that we're trying to build culture-wise at Wheeling High School. And under that Ubuntu umbrella, I want to uh, have a huge shout out to my staff for everything they do, because without them, it's not possible for the everyday. So huge shout out to, to Brett Gerken, Reggie Williams, Andrew Braverman, Jason Weeder, Matt Claver, Virgil Davis for all the work they've done this past year, and all the coaches we've had over the last couple of years. That's Ubuntu. That's, that's putting in work every single day. That's building relationships. That's being together. That's building off one another. And I want to appreciate you guys letting me have the 30 second time out to talk about our culture and talk about Ubuntu. Coach has got that uh, NBA staff, John. He's got the, he's got the, he's got all those guys. I like it. He, I like he, he, guys he, behind. He's got the guys everywhere. It's awesome. He he does. He and he and my staff probably could rival each other. When I had six coaches sitting on the bench for playoffs too, it it could be a it could be a five on five uh, game. I think between coach and my staff there pretty soon. I, I love. We have a couple of volunteers that come in every day. Um, not every day, but when they can, and they'll be at almost every game. Um, and I'm extremely thankful for those guys, too. Uh, so it's it's lucky when you have guys who want to volunteer their time. It's really important because the more eyes you have, the more guys that can sit down with your your team and your players and, and help them. It's huge. All right. So this is the the final segment, coach. This is kind of when we have fun with our guests. We call this quick hitters. Uh, oftentimes these questions have nothing to do with basketball. Sometimes they do, but um, it's sometimes as we like to say, this is where the show falls off the rails. So uh, this is just an opportunity for us to have some fun with our guests. So we will start off with for you, maybe your pre favorite pregame snack or meal that you would eat before a game. I, I think I keep it basic here. It's going to be a cliff bar, specifically a chocolate chip cliff bar. I think it's the easy one. Have them in your bag, have them at, in your classroom just for a quick snack, quick energy boost before a game. All right. Your, your favorite high school coach to watch their game. Maybe it's because they're super entertained on the sideline. could be their X and O's could be just like how you watch their team play a, a coach you respect, you know, what, whatever it may be, but your, your, your favorite high school coach, if you're not watching your team, you know, and you happen to see their, them playing, you're going to kind of stop and watch and see what they do. So for, for me, this was Will Ray from Northridge Prep. Mm -hmm. So we, so as a high school, high school player, I played at Ridgewood High School. We played in the Battle at the Ridge tournament. So that used to be Ridgewood and Northridge combined. And we always played Northridge in the championship. And they were always so hard to play against because they were so well coached and just so, so tough. They were just so tough. I think tough is the right word to, to call Northridge. And as a player, I remember, you know, I thinking about that. Well, these guys are great. These guys are so well coached. And now as a coach, we're at the Northridge Prep Thanksgiving tournament. Every year, Coach, coach Ray's teams are prepped. They're running their system effectively. They run a 1-3-1. One, one. It's just so hard to score against. And then he'll alternate that 1-3-1 one, one into a 2-3 every once in a while, which, is, again, is just effective. And they run things so, so great. Like, he does such a great job with that program. 
And every year we're at the Northridge prep tournament. I love watching his teams. I love competing against his teams. And he and that program does such a great job. And I know they just won a regional championship on a, on a, a steel buzzer beater overtime win. So congratulations to them. Yeah, we we had Coach uh, Ray on, and he, it's just a, a wealth of knowledge. Like it's it's he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. So it, that's a great example. Um, okay, now now it's where it falls off the rails a little bit. Chunky or smooth <laughs> peanut butter? Smooth peanut butter. Okay, for sure, for sure. Uh, sour candy, chocolate candy, something else. Uh, chocolate, chocolate. I um, I joke with my wife all the time. She has these little jars of candy in the kitchen. And if there's chocolate in there, it's not going to last very long. Uh, she, she doesn't understand how I can't control myself. And I basically tell her if it's there, I'm going to eat it. So it's not a great, great thing for me to with chocolates in the candy jars. If it's like some sort of like hard candy or something like that, I'll, I'll, it'll, it'll stay there. But if there's little chocolates in there, like this past Christmas, she had those those lit chocolates. You guys know what I'm oh, talking about? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Those, those were in there. They're gone like two days tops. Like I just every time I walk by the kitchen, I'm I'm grabbing two. Like it's not good. All right, we got on uh, your number one skill. You think a point guard should have? So I, I was a point guard, and the number one skill for a point guard is decision making. So to me the best point guards are in control. You don't have to score 30 a game. You don't have to have 12 assists. You need to make the right decision and you need to control the game on a possession by possession basis, right? So I should be able to, as your coach, pause the film in the middle of a, of a high pick and roll and say, what's the coverage? What's your read? What, are, what, what read are you doing right now? And we should be able to make those decisions on the fly. That decision-making is huge because there's some games where you might be the guy who makes 12 hockey assists and you have zero assists, but you win, but you made every right decision. And all that matters is winning. There might be another game where, listen, like your matchup's great. You're getting downhill, you're getting to the basket. You score 24 points because ball's in your hands. You can just get to the rim. Great. If that's the right decision every time, you're doing your job as a point guard, right? Putting your guys in positions to win, putting your guys in positions to succeed, putting the ball on the money right in that shooter's pocket so that they're ready to catch and shoot, right? That decision-making is the number one skill, I think, for point guards to make. And the best point guards make it every possession. All right, last one here. Your your favorite shoe to wear? What, what's, your, what's your go-to shoe? Uh, this is also a loaded question for me. I don't know if you guys knew I was a sneakerhead, but I've been collecting sneakers since I was like 14. Um, I joke with the kids because sneakers are huge, huge again, that I used to get up at like 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning to go to the Harlem Irving Plaza Mall with my best yep. friend to get in line at 4 a.m. so that we can wait there for three hours in order to get the new Jordans. And the kids think I'm crazy for, for telling them that story. But that was that was how we used to do it. Um, so I'll give you a couple answers. So my favorite shoe to hoop in. So play basketball in is definitely the Kobe eight model. Any Kobe's in general are definitely my favorite hoop and shoes. I've been playing in them since 2010. Recently, I've been playing with the LeBron 20s. We play a little morning hoops with the staff before school on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So that's my, my hoop and shoe now. And then my all-time favorite shoe, favorite silhouette is the Air Jordan 11. So that's just something that I fell in love with as a kid. Uh, I got a lot of Jordans, uh, but 11s are by far my favorite. And anytime I get a chance to, to get my hands on a pair, I try. 
So we did not know, but Todd and I are both huge shoe guys. So that's why we threw it in as well. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah I love we'll start shoes. getting those Kobe's back now too. That's nice. Start, I'm hoping. Getting... Yeah. It's hard, to get. I, I... hard to get, but we, you can find them. So hard to get. And it was rest in peace to Kobe Bryant. But before he died, like you could get them pretty easily at stores. Like there was no, yeah. no problem, no problem getting Kobe's. <clears throat> And after his death, it's just unbelievably hard. So, I mean, I have, a, I, I, I wore my Kobe four draft days that are sitting in the room right now to, to the group to they're done. Um, I've got Kobe five chaos that are, those are done too. Those were the last two that I could get um, before he died. And I haven't been able to get a pair since. So I'm hoping with the new restocks, we're going to be able to get some more Kobe's because those are my favorites, favorites well, to play. If you, yeah. If you wanted to get some for a while, you had to take out a new mortgage. You had to, you had to. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to do that. I mean, I was at the, I was at the point where I was having my wife try to like, try to get raffles for me too. So it was like, I don't know. It's probably like between me and her, we're like oh for a hundred after right. for a right. while. They're trying to trying to get Kobe's, but um, yeah. those are those are those are great basketball shoes and a um, great player, obviously. All right. So coach, we really do appreciate you being on. This was a, you were one of the guests we had wanted to get on for a long time, but with your season and our season, you know, it just got delayed, but this was a phenomenal episode about a variety of topics. So thank you so much for jumping on with us. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk hoops. It's love it. Love it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in concert with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you may listen. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.